Broadcasting live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, you are tuning in to Culture Crush with Kendra Maples. This podcast will dive into a variety of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. On this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture. We do a deep dive into companies that are crushing it with great company culture. And then the other part is bringing in other companies and individuals that offer support and resources to improving company culture. And that's what we're doing today. Sometimes there's a mixture. Sometimes it's a a company. Sometimes it's coaches, consultants, and all of the mix. So I'm really excited for the two gentlemen that we have today. You guys kind of focus on kind of both sides, but really providing support to companies in the culture space. So today we have Aaron Valky, CEO of Get Out of Your Way and Money Club. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. And we have Kent Gregoire, co-founder of Stakeholder Business. Welcome. Thank you. Yes. Um, so I am really excited to have you guys because like I said, sometimes we do a combination where we've got maybe a, a big business that's known for doing company culture or even not known for doing company culture. Then we've got coaches and resources and all of this. And I'm very intentional about how I match the guests on the show. And you guys had a couple of common threads with the education piece, with the conscious capitalism piece. And so I really thought you guys would mesh well. And so I'm excited to have the conversation with you guys today. I want to start with bringing it to you guys. I want to hear about you, what you're doing, what how you kind of got to where you're going. We have plenty of time, so you don't have to feel like this has to be like a 30-second answer. Give us the meat of how you got to where you are. Um, Ken, you are virtual, so I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about you, what you're doing, and how you got to this point. Yeah. So, um, well, actually, it's a really exciting time. Stakeholder Business is just launching, and it's work that I've been doing along with my co-founders for about a decade, and it's just really exciting. We'll, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but the word stakeholder sometimes is a little bit confusing for many because we're redefining what stakeholder means um, in the context of stakeholder capitalism and stakeholder business. I get to do this work from my farm in Vermont, and um, that makes it a lot of fun as well. My journey along the way um, has been as an entrepreneur, um, as well as consulting with other CEOs specifically, on helping them begin to make this transition to make sense of moving from a shareholder business to a stakeholder business. And um, that magic is um, is fun. Um, having the methodologies is something that people are really looking for and roadmaps. and um, that's where maybe part of our conversation will go today. Awesome. And I didn't realize you were on a farm. We were just talking about Vermont and the weather. And now I'm even more jealous of the farm side, not the snow side, but the farm side. How long have you been out there on a farm? This would be seven years. It started part-time and it's been full-time for a few years. I used to live in Atlanta, loved it there, a lot of great connections, and then moved to Boston all while having a farm. Um, So that was really, uh, really cool. One of the things I was able to do being here on the farm and during the pandemic, things were not exactly quiet for us, but (laughs) a little slower pace working on getting my certification in conscious capitalism, becoming one of the first in the world certified. So um, that was one of the advantages of not having, um, you know, places right next door to go to. We're definitely in rural part of Vermont and Mm -hmm. um, enjoy it here. That's so cool. And I'm sure this will come up in the conversation, but being able to do that while being remote on a farm, I've heard this from a handful of folks that, you know, they're doing their job, they're running, you know, businesses but they're in the mountains or the CEO of Diver City, Daryl, that we were just talking about, Darren that was on, their CEO travels around in her RV and she is the CEO of this company all over the place. I'm like, I love that we can do that now. And then that becomes part of the culture with companies too. That's fantastic. All right, Aaron, it's you. You're in the hot seat. I want to hear about you. What have you been up to? How'd you get to this point? And maybe you'll start to connect the synergies with Kent over there. My journey started with teaching kids about money. Mm-hmm. Money Club was, at that time, had a different title, but was a nonprofit 
interested in making change. It was really important for us to have a good company culture. And working in education, everything shut down in 2020. So we pivoted into working with employers. And part of that story was in the middle of a pandemic, what really was clear is that financial stress was at an all-time high. So we just started offering workshops to companies. And now workshops for companies is a big part of our entire offering. The transition from our culture to other companies' cultures was a very interesting one and not an easy one. We learned a lot about what is necessary for a company to make change Mm -hmm. in their world. And somewhere during the midst of our pivot into workplace wellness, I started getting a lot of attention from entrepreneurs who wanted to grow and scale and build a more fulfilling lifestyle, Mm -hmm. call it that. So Get Out of Your Own Way is my coaching company where we do retreats and we do workshops and team building and and some of those pieces. But both of them are really the same challenge. Mm -hmm. How does an entrepreneur craft something a bit more intentionally and how do they lead with a really clear vision of what they want so that their employees can get behind it? And a lot of times with the entrepreneurs, it's Look, you've you've got to let go mm-hmm. and surrender. This is this is not just you. It's got to be the the whole ecosystem. And then with Money Club, we're there to be the support and the foundation to say, hey, your employees are going to grow financially. They're going to want to stay here. They're going to want to go with you. Full send when it comes to your vision. So it's, it's been kind of a wild ride. That's so fun. And so I have other questions, but I'm going to dive into some of the meat that you're talking about. So what does that look like when you are working with entrepreneurs, especially because entrepreneurs in the beginning, sometimes it's just one person, right? Building a company, building a brand and, and helping support them from the very, very beginning, even when they maybe only have one or two people working with them, supporting them from the beginning, from that culture perspective. But then also when they are part of your coaching program, they have a company with, you know, a bunch of people. And like you said, sometimes it's needing to step out of that. What does that look like in the beginning when you're starting to work with maybe some of the smaller entrepreneurs too as they're getting into their business? Probably has a lot of synergy with what Ken does. I mean, the mm-hmm. the conversation with someone with just themselves or one other person in the company has everything to do with stakeholders. Who who else is involved? Because you're selling, you're buying, you're mm-hmm. bidding for all these different components. And your interdependency is often understated. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of people that are involved in your ability to grow a business, hire, and expand. Mm -hmm. Once you get to a point where you have seven, eight, maybe 10 employees, you have critical mass. So it's no no longer can be an accident. Mm -hmm. And culture, the way I've defined culture is what happens when you're not looking. Mm -hmm. And if if young entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs with a small team really want to grow and and grow quickly, they should consider who are the stakeholders that are part of their world and can they start putting the the blocks together for culture so that as it grows, it's there. You don't have to correct it. You Mm -hmm. don't have to like fix it. It can be very intentional from the get-go. And can with your work, right, connecting back to what Aaron's talking about, when you're working with companies and and working on that transition, like you said, from being more of the shareholder business to a stakeholder business, what does that piece look like? I mean, are you having to sometimes really go in and identify and and shine the light on the fact that employees are a main stakeholder or, you know, give us some insight into what that looks like? It's thinking about what stakeholders really mean to the mm-hmm. stakeholder model, right? So one of the stakeholders being employees, suppliers, and you know, various different stakeholders. From an employee point of view, I think we've so often have, um, and you know, early in my career, I went off path a bit. My father was very good at getting me back on path, but it, I became a very traditional kind of thinking. And so in that, I would be more like, how much productivity can I get from an employee, right? You know, Mm -hmm. that was really like the measurement. I was definitely a student, literally a student of Milton Friedman. And so that's what helped me get inspired, you might say, at a young age. Mm -hmm. So when I started looking at it over a longer period of time, we understood that it's a dance between employer and the employee. They're human. We're human. What does that actually really look like? What are their needs? Mm -hmm. You know, what are they really saying their needs are? What are our needs as an organization? And finding ways to optimize them and create that win-win scenario. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that became a really kind of a cornerstone of 
part of my shift um, early on, and this goes back a very long time ago, let's just put it that way, probably more mm-hmm. than two decades ago, um, beginning to really make that shift and apply it. So I think from an employee's point of view, it's a new lens that we're looking at stakeholders um, to redefine what that relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. And Aaron, I'm sure that's a, like you said, it's a big part of what you're doing when you're going in and coaching these companies. Do you see, do either one of you see like resistance in companies when you're trying to to shift into this stakeholder model? Or Kent, with you, they're probably already more open to this before, you know, they connect with you. They know, okay, this is a direction I need to go in. But um, even Aaron, do you see that there's resistance or that companies are are not in that direction or are those maybe not the companies that you work with? <laughs> I suppose not. They yeah. wouldn't necessarily have the, the components. Nonetheless, I, I think more of this is about awareness and less resistance, mm. meaning that a company may not feel resistance in considering larger stakeholders or a wider net. Mm-hmm. They just might not know about it. They might not have ever been shown it. And I think even even the concepts of stakeholder theory or really the culture conversation for many people is so very new. Mm-hmm. It's still very new. I mean, this I haven't been an entrepreneur that long. Kent, you got a couple of years uh, on me. But I do feel like the methods that we're using to share still move the needle at a slow pace compared to like industry pace. Mm-hmm. And for for many people, th- this conversation of culture is brand new. Mm-hmm. And every time you turn the corner, there's another thing that has never been tried before or never been talked about. Yeah. With Money Club, we consistently get people, I, I didn't know this was a thing. Yeah. I didn't know you could do this for your employees. Uh-huh. And that's probably pretty ubiquitous across the industry. I didn't know you could do this. Yep. So we're I don't feel like the word is resistance. I feel like the word is, can we build enough awareness so that mm-hmm. the people that are, are hearing about it mm-hmm. can say, oh, I really want that. How do mm-hmm. I get that? And then they can move it forward. Yeah. Which is one of the goals behind this podcast, too, is the awareness and the education and the knowledge behind these conversations of culture and the pieces of the conversation, right? Culture, when I say, oh, I have this podcast all about company culture— that's very broad compared to the topics that we discuss, right? The financial piece of supporting employees, um, changing models from shareholder to stakeholder. But it it truly is all very, very recent in conversations. And uh, Daryl and I, and he's heard me say this a thousand times, but I think about like when my dad was working, my dad wasn't talking about like coming home from work, like, oh, we had such great company culture and they gave <laughs> us these employee benefits. Like my dad went to work probably hated his boss, came home and did it all over again the next day because he had to pay to have us a roof over our house and to pay for Mm -hmm. food. And this would have never been a conversation I would have with my dad. But now it's a conversation you start to have with everybody. I'm obviously in this space of culture, so I'm having these conversations a lot. And so it's interesting when I do start to have conversations about specific pieces of culture. And I still have people that are like, oh, well, what is the stakeholder, right? Or what does DEI stand for? In my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't know this? But it, like you said, it's still such a new conversation and a new topic. There are some companies out there that are doing great. They don't even know that there's like terminology behind it, right? right? Of like having a good culture or like psychological safety and diversity inclusion. There are some companies that are just doing these things and some that are that are learning. So as you guys are in this space, right, helping businesses, educating them, coaching them, tell me a little more about, because obviously it connects with conscious capitalism. I throw that in there because that's kind of a thread that connected all of us. When Aaron came to Arizona, he was like a bulldozer meeting everybody. (laughs) I'm on the board for conscious capitalism for the Arizona chapter. So that's how we connected. And then, Kent, it was crazy because you and I connected. Somebody introduced me to you from the culture perspective. But then when you and I chatted, I didn't even realize that you were working with part of our conscious capitalism Arizona chapter for a big event that we had. And I was like, wait, what? 
So I want to, um, I don't necessarily have a directed question with this. I really just want to hear from you guys about what you're doing in this culture space and how it connects to this conscious capitalism space and conscious business. And Aaron, like with you, when you came to Arizona and you knew that that was a group you wanted to connect with, why, right? Why was that a part of what you wanted to connect with on the piece of what you're doing with education and coaching and things like that? Um, I'm curious to hear Ken's response on this yeah. too. Like the, the being in a new area, I always look for where where can I go meet like-minded individuals? Where can I go make more sustainable relationships mm-hmm. faster, I suppose? Then what is the alternative? Uh, go to the bar, mm-hmm. go to like a co-working space. Mm-hmm. It just presented a, a real unique landing pad. I also think that conscious capitalism has a very wide definition. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different pockets within that. I like to do well and I like to do good. Mm-hmm. And that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. So if I can find other entrepreneurs that are indoctrinated into the same principle, then it's usually pretty easy to find a connection. And uh, Ken and I got to connect, I think it was last week. There, there's so many lanes of overlap. Mm-hmm. You just have to start the first email thread. And I think that conscious capitalism presents a really simple first email thread. Mm-hmm. Then then you can explore, then your conversational skills are up for grabs. But the the idea that we could find other entrepreneurs doing meaningful work mm-hmm. and that are incredibly experienced, like the way, Kent, the way you talk, you know your shit. It's so clear. <laughs> and I find that there's such a good opening in mm-hmm. conscious capitalism to, to learn from people that are way more advanced than I. One of the things I was thinking about is... Um, you know, we're talking about culture and we've been talking about stakeholder capitalism, stakeholder business. And one of the things that really does distinguish um, conscious capitalism and stakeholder business is really starting with that higher purpose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the purpose of today, probably the best way to define it is an organization choosing to solve, not help, but actually solve a worthy problem. Mm -hmm. Could be a societal problem, community problem, homelessness in a community, as an example. It might be an environmental problem. It could be, you know, certain kind of drain off from agriculture into your local streams or something much larger. Mm-hmm. But being able to identify what that specific thing is that you really, really want to overcome, you want to solve that problem, and testing that out with various stakeholders. In fact, it's really important to test it, stress test it, find out where people get really excited. Like, you know, do they really want to do this? Is, are they in for this game? I think that's one of the places when we look at culture becomes really interesting because we know for certain that in culture, meaning is one of the most important things. What am I doing? Does it have meaning beyond the exact tasks that I'm doing, even beyond my customers? So when employees begin to understand that they have an opportunity not just to solve the problem for their customer, maybe that being internal or external customer, but also solving a bigger problem that's going to help all of us as we elevate humanity is a really what I would call a real kind of like foundation of our cultures. Mm -hmm. When you did your certification through conscious capitalism, is that a big piece of what that certification process was, even maybe knowing or helping companies to identify, okay, what's the problem that you're solving? Yeah, that being upfront, also trying to apply more than one in the conscious capitalism case, more than one tenant Mm -hmm. is really important. So for mine, I hit across three of the tenants. One was pretty deep, actually the stakeholder piece, but you can't ignore purpose and um, culture. We did a little bit on the leadership side, but I needed to show measures where they were at and where they ended up doing a lot of different tools to do that with, not necessarily always asking, but looking at some of the key metrics that we set out. And those key metrics, you know, we're so often trained to, um, it's almost like I have an accounting background, but educational-wise, it's like going and taking a look at all the traditional KPIs. And we well know that in culture and in sustainable business and businesses that are thriving today and not going to wither, it's what are the other metrics that are really important. And as it turns out, perhaps the most important metric is actually on purpose. You've got to be on point with purpose. Are you moving purpose along? Is the CEO showing up every single day? And is the CEO's primary responsibility to see that through their actions, purpose is moving? Um, And I like to say, um, Aaron heard me say this the other day, but I have said this for a long time. 
the most strategic decision a company could ever make is identifying their higher purpose. Mm -hmm. Because when that purpose is so well known and it's stress tested, it's the glue that brings all the stakeholders together. Mm -hmm. And it's why, you know, it's, I wouldn't say that builds the case for stakeholder business, but it certainly um, is necessary for a stakeholder business to really thrive. Mm -hmm. And then it connects back to those other tenants, right? So having that focus on purpose has a a bigger role in the culture piece too, right? Mm -hmm. Can you add anything to that about how that that role affects that company culture piece? Yeah. So when we think about it, um, you know, one of the things I like to think about in, in uh, um, Aaron, I remember you said something and I can't quite parrot your words, but, you know, culture is actually as a result of what is actually present, right? You know, it's kind of hard to really kind of control culture. And I think that's been a big myth all along. We want this culture. Why don't we actually try to make that culture happen? And actually, I think that's not necessarily the best way. I think that your words were better than mine. But seeing where that culture actually resides internally, because that creates the inspiration and the opportunity for innovation and a stakeholder business. Some of the things that come to mind, Kendra, are in a stakeholder business, some of the benefits um, and some of the case study why you would do it is employee engagement, Mm -hmm. Um, treating them as humans. Are they really humans? Are they thriving in their life? Both at work as well as out of work, well, when they're out of work, meaning um, at home, in their communities. Talent acquisition, I think, is really interesting. And that is, there doesn't actually have to be a lot of attention to, oh, let me go try to find the best people. The best people at all levels of an organization will self-identify with companies that have the cultures that people are looking for today. Mm -hmm. More than two-thirds of Americans have said, and this is not recent data. This has been going on for a couple of years. I don't want to work for a company unless that company is making some meaningful improvement in society or environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so talent acquisition is really as a result of doing all the right things, much easier to find that talent because they're already appearing. Customer loyalty picks up really quickly. Um, I always reflect on Fred Reichold um, many years ago. He talked about the loyalty effect And I'd say customer loyalty today goes well beyond even what Fred talked about because we're also engaging all of our stakeholders, not just our customers, Mm -hmm. as we create that loyalty. Rapid innovation, if we're not convinced already, rapid innovation, um, creating new value that we can deliver to stakeholders and our customers, our customers who might pay more, open a new customer group, solve other worthy problems, and then the leadership performance and leadership needs to really um, be working towards very specific metrics that are balanced across the organization from people to environment to community Mm -hmm. um, and and other areas of the organization to make sure that they're uplifting and helping organizations thrive, not just survive. Mm -hmm. And that, that conversation, that piece of working to improve, you know, creating loyalty, having a mission that means something, that goes back to what we were saying earlier about now this is a conversation, right? It mm-hmm. it ties in because, like I said, there there's tons of companies out there that are doing great things, that have a great mission, support their employees, um, have that stakeholder vision, but maybe aren't telling anybody, right? So mm-hmm. now, because this is more of a conversation, now you have companies that are trying to figure out how to be that company and they're trying to ask questions, and they're trying to learn, and they're part of this conversation. But then you have those other companies that are like, oh, we're already doing this. Maybe we should share it. And it gives them a little more backbone to to say like, hey, we should should talk about us, right? And then it ends up being a retention, recruitment mechanism. And then you're able to show these other, these future employees what you're doing. So then, Kent, to your point, they see, oh, that company has a bigger mission. They do support their people. That's mm-hmm. the company I want to work for. If it, it goes back and forth, right? Because if they're not saying anything, yeah. yeah, they're a great company. Maybe they have a good mission, but why keep it a secret anymore? 
Yeah, I think the power of storytelling is what's so important. And the way that you phrased it was actually really beautiful in that it's not about telling a story to uh, purposely advance yourself. Mm -hmm. It's about sharing the story to create the transparency of what's actually happening Mm -hmm. to help inspire other people. It could be future talent, but help to inspire other business owners to bring the glue together with your other stakeholders. So I think there's a, you know, it's a really important distinction. It's about the storytelling, mm-hmm. um, not what I call the trophy moment, which I see so often. Oh, look at me, you know, I've done really well. So I'm now giving money here and I'm doing some other good things. But if you look at the overall business, it's not a sustainable business. They're making trade-offs, which would indicate you know, they're, they're not optimizing everything for all stakeholders. They're taking from some stakeholders to, to help benefit other stakeholders that they may prioritize at any given time. Mm-hmm. And what I find are those really good deep stories tend to be more chronicled over a period of time, mm-hmm. um, which is something that um, I know as stakeholder business, we are very attentive to. Is that, so you just mentioned that that's what you're attentive to. Is that something that either one of you When you're working with a company and maybe a company or a business leader, you start to pick up, huh, they are doing really great things. They have a great mission. They have, you know, a way of supporting their people. Is that anything that becomes part of your coaching to help them tell that story so that they know how to, like Ken said, tell the story in a way that's not, hey, look at us in our our trophy model, but more of hey, we just want to show what we're doing. We're doing great things. Yeah, that, that trophy model's got to go. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. And I think now we're starting to see see through it, mm-hmm. which is great. I, I, I noticed a couple trends. One is that culture is not necessarily easy, mm-hmm. even if it is simple. I think our job in many ways is to make it simple. Mm-hmm. But it does require change and change takes time. You know, one of the, the simplicities of culture can be we celebrate diversity, right? Well, in order to do that, you have to have a certain set of behaviors that go behind it. Mm-hmm. If you want to prioritize mental health, you have, a, you have to have a certain set of behaviors that go behind that. And as easy as it is to put on a compass or slap on the wall, you, you still have to back those things up for your employees to get behind it. Mm-hmm. If a company is already doing it, then largely there are two actions that are important. One is your team aware that you're doing it? It, mm. it does start internally. So you might say, yeah, no, we're totally doing this. And then all of a sudden you go serve the team and they don't see it. They don't feel it. Mm. So it, it really has to be pretty homogenous for a, a company or a business or a movement to, to really get some indoctrination around it. Does everyone agree that that's what's happening? Mm. The, the second piece then, if you do have adherence, is to get feedback from the people in the company. Mm-hmm. If you skip those two steps, it, you do not have a transparent culture. You have sort of top-down leadership, which is, we're back to case number one. Mm-hmm. So it, it is important to kind of co-create that. And that doesn't mean that leaders need to open up a survey and everyone gets to chip in. It, it doesn't need to be that way. It is important, though, that the at least when you're stating this, that the organization itself has a its own lifeline. Mm-hmm. If culture is what happens when no one's looking, you want your team bought in. Because they'll be the ones really to, to police the culture that you create. If, if you mm. create a new policy and you're the only one touting it, you're the only one that created it, and all of a sudden you pass it to your employees to monitor and regulate without their buy-in, they're not going to police it the same way. And police might be a, a bit of aggressive language. They're, they're not going to adhere to it. They're not going to support it. They're not going to be able to explain it. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to open up storytelling to the, the larger audiences, we want our entire fleet of amazing human beings to say the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest thing in the world with culture. Can we say the same thing? Mm-hmm. And again, you can slap it on the wall. That doesn't mean that they're going to be able to explain why it's important. Mm-hmm. And the purpose and guiding North Star is really where it starts. If we're a company that is solving a really big problem, here's how we do it. And here's how we treat each other as we solve the problem. Mm-hmm. That is a really important structure to have people buy in and make sure that everyone's on the same page with. Because once it gets out, that that's what you do, that's when checkpoints start to arise. Mm-hmm. And you you put it in a company email or put it on social and, and an employee goes, hey, I mean, do we do we really do that? <laughs> like, Because I'm like going through stress and this has mental health, but 
you know, the last time I tried to call off for mental health, you told me no. That's when it starts to crumble. So it really has to be that co-created community oriented around the purpose statement that guides you really, really far. Yeah. And I like that you broke it down of how it truly starts in the beginning because we can tell whatever story we want to the outside. But nowadays you can do the research, you can find it out. And like you said, some employee is going to call your your BS and be like, wait a minute. So making sure if it really is a great culture, right? Let's communicate what we're doing internally. But then the other piece too is a lot of times you do have those companies that are trying to tell a different story. Not even that they have a good culture and they tell it to get the award, right? But that they maybe don't have the great culture and they're trying to sell and show this story, right? Then you have misfiring, miscommunication. Then you've got that CEO that thinks, oh, we have a great culture and nobody else agrees, right? So really getting to the core with everybody else on your team so that it's true buy-in so that you can see, okay, are we on the same page? Do we have a great culture? Or is it just one CEO? (laughs) This guy says we're so great and everyone else is calling his bluff and doesn't want to have his back on it. (laughs) <laughs> so truly starting at the meet. That CEO sure. has a great culture. That's what he has oh, <laughs> yes. by himself. I think, <laughs> I think what you're pointing to, uh, one of the things, or I should say, one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, we're, we're reestablishing what, what is, um, you know, the definition of success, business mm. success. We've had for so long that the definition of success is around profits fueling value. And we agree in conscious capitalism, profits are essential, but they're not the, you know, they're not the ends in and of itself. And so as we begin to redefine in the stakeholder um, business model, the stakeholder capitalism model does it in particularly well is to see that, um, you know, there, as I mentioned before, there's financial prosperity, but there's a lot of ways of looking at financial prosperity mm-hmm. without writing a check. And it has, and it goes deep to all your stakeholders. Um, and so you look at, um, you know, environmental, what are you doing for environment? What, as I mentioned, what are you doing for your community? What other areas are you really focused on um, elevating to help create um, an organization that's making a real big impact um, and change? We were talking about chronicling and, um, you know, I know, Kendra, you're very well aware of one uh, chronicle story. Um, and it obviously was a very, very large story. And now it's being seen on stages literally around the globe mm-hmm. many times and more to come. But there's four more of those stories coming out this year. And um, they're very large stories of chronicling over a period of time. Mm-hmm. And to what's important isn't just to understand what's working. But what actually did it take to get there? What is that roadmap? What are the lessons that were learned? Um, how do we, you know, how do we work with that? How do we show that um, in, in um, film and storytelling and other medium uh, to encourage and inspire others to be willing to do what um, that guy in Atlanta did 30, Ray did 35 plus years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty remarkable. Yeah, that was fun because the Beyond Zero filming, that showing, Aaron was there and he was supporting that to happen here um, in Arizona as well. So I like that you mentioned that because, again, it's this storytelling and and looking at companies like that and seeing and, and writing down and documenting that story over time and the growth and the change because you... You have some of these amazing leaders that take a stance and they say, hey, we got to make some change. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, <laughs> but I know we got to <laughs> yeah. do it, right? So yeah. that is definitely a piece. Can, can you tell us any more about the business case for stakeholder capitalism, even using Beyond Zero as an example, or can you give us any more tidbits on that? You know, there's a lot of different places to go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is true, and I I'm always say this with um, not wanting anybody to lead and say this is why I should do it. It is interesting that companies that pursue stakeholder capitalism will discover prosperity in many different areas that they never expected, probably in their own heart, first of all. Not uncommon, right, Aaron? Um, I know you kind of referred to that. So I think 
you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits that people don't actually recognize. One of the big things um, that I I really admire, Bigby Coffee, coffee franchise, they're fairly large. They're doing some really amazing work on the stakeholder side. But on their culture side, they've created a culture in which, you know, everybody is thriving. They're in a, they love their job. They love what they're doing. And that's just a really, really important part. So when we think about some of the business case of it, I like to say that um, it's not a one-dimensional. It really is a very multi-dimensional impact and that it can have um, in measurable areas because we've been accustomed to doing a very um, like one-to-one dealing with polarities as an example. I was talking about that yesterday with a friend of mine. And, you know, in polarities, we say we're either going to do this or we do that, or we look at the trade-offs. You know what? Yeah, you know, maybe we can't give our employees the Christmas bonus this year. We need to pay our suppliers on time. Instead of asking the why questions, asking, you know, what if we were to approach our stakeholders, our suppliers, and find better solutions? So as we begin to work through this, what we begin to see is an entire elevation of the human spirit. And when that human spirit elevates, we begin to see things happening in our organization that we never would have been aware of, even encouraging, directing, or anything at all. And that's what becomes really beautiful about it. Um, and why, you know, the, the word innovation comes up quite a bit because we know today innovation is really, really important. It always has been, but it's become more important than ever. One of the other benefits, and I wonder how long this is going to be a competitive advantage, because in our thinking, we'd like to not see it a competitive advantage forever. And that is in the stakeholder model, it's quite easy to distinguish and have a competitive advantage today. I think over time, there's going to be the new, and, and, I, and I'm not going to go there now because it's kind of a, a futurish thing, and we're talking on something for a lot of people right now, is like their future, and they're trying to grapple with it. Um, there is something beyond that, um, but right now, being a stakeholder business, that's, that's, that's a competitive advantage. And those that don't do it, I am absolutely convinced, um, will wither. They will not thrive. It's actually not possible. That's not, that's not really an opinion. There's a lot of data to back that up. There's a lot in this, um, in this area of work. And you certainly know, you know, when we think of stakeholder capitalism, there's two really strong names. We know Bart, Mark um, Benioff, Salesforce CEO, mm-hmm. and Larry Fink, you know, BlackRock CEO. They're in the press consistently saying mm-hmm. that long-term survival of corporations, of entities require a new model, and it's the stakeholder uh, business model. Do either one of you have any strategies that you could share as far as, you know, supporting leaders in their journey in increasing stakeholder engagement? Obviously, an answer is they should talk Mm -hmm. to the two of you. (laughs) That's an easy answer. Um, But in this journey, and and Kent, to your point, it is going to give the competitive advantage. All of these pieces are going to fall into place, right? You focus on your stakeholders, you focus on your people, there's better engagement. That leads to them being your advocates, right? Then that leads to, Aaron, what you're talking about. Then internally, everyone's bought in on the same mission, the same ideas. Then you tell the story outwards, right? But really starting at the beginning with really increasing that stakeholder engagement what can you guys share on that side, aside from, yes, they should talk to you both? <laughs> Ken? I'm sure. Happy to start off. So some of the strategies that I think of that leaders can be using to increase stakeholder engagement, certainly having their theory of change in place. But let's kind of jump from that and go to, you know, we frequently hear um, buy-in from our team members. But I will say this may be the most important leadership skill in this modern age. Mm -hmm. Um, Understanding um, this is is really, really imperative. And um, interesting, um, when I'm hearing topics of leadership, this is not showing up much, but it is a very, very important skill. Um, How, you know, kind of taking theory of change and now actually bringing it into an organization. So I remember, Kendra, you, you were saying something that reminded me of, that CEO who says, we're going to do this, and everybody sort of looks at him and says, 
my God, we're, we're going to try something new. Flavor of the month. That, <laughs> you know, guy in Atlanta, Ray Anderson, you know, that's what they thought he was talking yeah. about. And, um, you know, that's not what happened, you know, became this amazing thing. And, um, and so that's an important leadership skill. The other thing is you've got to have your stakeholders. That doesn't mean all your stakeholders. You have representative from each of your stakeholder group representatives. You know, even from climate, if sustainability, environmental sustainability is truly important to your business, either maybe it's a manufacturer, maybe it's simply related to the purpose of the company. Um, the higher purpose is to make sure that, you know, you've got an expert or two from, um, from the environment who understands environmental sustainability. I know, you know, Paul, Paul um, Hawking was certainly one of those people with Beyond Zero with that company, um, but you've got to have that person. So getting the stakeholders there, I'm going to go on on that one a little bit and then list a couple others that come to mind. But the thing that I think is really interesting, when we engage our stakeholders, that's really where a lot of our strategy can come from. This notion of, you know, the ivory tower, the CEO, and I've been one enough times, so, you know, I know what it's like. It's quite limited when we do it within our own company, um, being able to really involve our stakeholders in our annual um, strategy or, you know, our planning processes can be um, absolutely incredible to our company growth um, and the value. Um, and that's not the reason we do it. That's the result that comes um, from doing that work. The other thing that um, it does increase stakeholder engagement, but it's really imperative that um, leaders are aware of everything now that's happening within the organization operationally mm. needs to be reconsidered, our operating systems. And I will say, um, if you ever went back to listen to some of the first times I was on podcast or articles I wrote, I wrote quite a bit about operating systems. It isn't so much that the frameworks of some of the operating systems are not no longer supporting. The frameworks are okay in general. It's the way in which we look at the operating system. When you look at it from a shareholder perspective, you're really thinking about what are the stakeholders doing for you, right? Mm -hmm. And when you look at the shareholder with the stakeholder, I hope I said that right, shareholder first, then stakeholder, mm -hmm. and the stakeholder perspective, you're doing that dance. You're finding out what can I do for those stakeholders to help them in their company and what can they be doing to help us? What are our needs? How do we balance those? And out of that, we've developed the deeper relationships. So when we talk about increasing stakeholder engagement, when our suppliers, as an example, know that we're really helping them be more successful, hey, we don't have to ask for better prices. We don't have to ask to be you know, ahead of the line if we need something done. We're already there and they're helping us solve problems that our customers have um, to extend our own resources. Then I'd say the last thing, which you know, comes with any change, comes with any behavior. And that's the positive reinforcement of when, you know, recognizing engagement, that it's really taking place. And not just recognizing it to that individual, but recognizing it in meetings and on a broader basis. Um, the more we can do that through spoken communication of any form, even if it's recorded, I think is much better than written for most um, because it carries with it a much more multi-dimensional um, appreciation. Those are awesome. And I love that you ended, I know, and I love that you ended with positive reinforcement. My background is actually in animal behavior, training polar bears and people. <laughs> it's all the same. But the key to it is positive reinforcement. The, the employee at the company is not going to continue busting their ass if they're not getting any positive feedback or positive reinforcement. That polar bear is not going to stand on the spot that you want him to if there's no skin in the game. He doesn't get any piece of meat or anything as a reward for that. Positive reinforcement but, is is a thread through all of this, for sure. But Kendra, can't you over positively reinforce too much? Ooh, I mean, I'm sure there's a level. I think it depends on how that positive reinforcement is taking place. So knowing what they consider, what that individual, polar bear, Aaron, what does he consider positive reinforcement, right? Um, it's kind of like when you talk about love languages, right? People's love languages. My love language is, some of it is words of affirmation, but a lot of it is acts of service. 
So if you tell me a thousand times, Kendra, you're so great. This was so great. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Okay, that's awesome. If you unload the dishwasher for me, I am in love. <laughs> you're my hero, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think to your question, it depends on how you're reinforcing them. You might have staff and you might have employees that don't want that shout out in front of everybody. Maybe they just want a note. Maybe they just, maybe they really love coffee. And so you say, hey, I'm going to grab coffee on the way. What do you want? Right? So knowing your people and knowing your team and how do you possibly reinforce them? As long as you're not throwing the same, you know, oh, you're so great. Hey, you're, you know, the same thing over and over again. You have to yep. mix it up and what they're receiving. Yeah, not making assumptions of what they want to receive. And yeah. I think the other thing about positive reinforcement, it's really positive reinforcement of the behavior. So it's using that language mm-hmm. of what was it that they just did, mm-hmm. that by doing that repeatedly, they're getting a better result. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that took me a while. Um, I learned under um, Aubrey Daniels. You may know that name. Mm-hmm. Um, long time. He'd not be young anymore, but he wrote... Um, how to bring out the best in people. Mm-hmm. And I was unofficially mentored by him in Atlanta. Um, just happened to be lucky. I would be in his presence now and then. And that 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 act of the R plus, the positive reinforcement symbol, reinforcing the actual behavior. So being very specific versus being trite is kind of the key there. Mm-hmm. And I like how you brought that up. I want to back up a moment because one of the things that you said, you got really excited about, Aaron. He was talking about leaders needing to be aware of what's happening internally and part of that being operating systems that are being used and all of that. You got very excited. I always get excited. Well, that, <laughs> but that, was, that a, was a big point. It was. And I'll yeah. lean in. Ken, I, Ken went over just everything that could be done. And <laughs> you did such an awesome job of, of highlighting some of those really important arcs. The general thesis behind all of this is if you want more, mm-hmm. let's get clear on how you get there. Mm-hmm. And this is a big key to how you get there, whether it's reinforcement, whether it's how you involve your stakeholders, the conversations that you're having. You mentioned earlier this like either or trade-off. And one of the principles in entrepreneurship that frustrates me the most is that we live in a zero-sum game. We, we had this like mental model where in order to have Y, we must give up X. Mm-hmm. So everything goes back to zero. I give this, I lose this. I get this, I have to sacrifice this. And that model really prevents all of what we're talking about here, which is a multi-sum game. You win, you win, you win, I win, you win, we all win. Mm -hmm. That requires a completely different calculus. The conversation about leadership is a really interesting one when it comes to awareness because most leaders that especially tuned in here are going to be in one of two places. Either they don't have awareness yet that Mm -hmm. they need this or that they want change, Mm -hmm. and this is the catalyst, or they are aware that they need change and are ready to make it. Mm. One of those two things. In the learning curve, you have, I don't know that I don't know. I'm ignorant. I know that I don't know. I'm aware. I know that I know I'm confident. Or I don't know that I know. I've mastered it. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in that mix is all of us. In order to change your organization, you may have to become a lot more aware of what your people want. And I think all of us could do a better job of asking what people are seeing in our culture. If you want a a real sticker shock example of how your culture is doing, ask someone else to check in with your team. Mm -hmm. Ask someone else to do a survey. Have them third party check you because your employees may not tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important part of this work is, is making sure that we can do that. The, the other thing that, that Kent mentioned around awareness I think is important for leaders to to at least recognize is that you are the upper limit of the business. You, whether you, ideally, you don't have an ivory tower, but if you are the CEO, you're the leader in charge, your values are going to be so incredibly loud. And if they are aligned with culture, it's going to supercharge you. If they are not, you are about to be in for a very rude awakening. You may say that, you know, we, we support mental health. But if your employees see you struggling with your own mental health because you don't prioritize that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a facade. Mm-hmm. And this presents a very simple basis for how culture is evaluated. Is the behavior being lived into by the CEO, even if it is the idealistic, this is what our employees get, this is what they talk about. But if you don't live it, you are about to find out 
that your culture is non-existent. Mm -hmm. It is at that point, just marketing. The irony is that I've just made all these mistakes so I can talk about them. (laughs) But, but through this, you know, if, if we say we value ideas, you have got to have a safe place to share ideas. Mm-hmm. And if you trash ideas, we're, we're at negative reinforcement. We are enforcing that someone should not share an idea. And I think that most of organizations and leaders would be really statistically proven to say, ideas come from not the CEO. Operations come from not the CEO. Success comes from not the CEO. The CEO is responsible for the people to get the results, not the results. Mm-hmm. And that just changes as time goes on with this conversation of culture, the way that CEOs show up. You go from really early being the guy that does everything, you wear all the hats, to eventually being the guy that just supports the team. Mm-hmm. And that is a hard transition if you've not built those skills. Sounds like what Kent does is help you build those skills. I help you build those skills. Mm-hmm. But it's a really important skill development because it's, it's not the same game anymore. Mm-mm. You can't show up like you did when you were hustling every day, mm-hmm. making all the sales, doing all the acquisitions, doing all the, the purchasing and supply gathering. You can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a different game. And I don't think that we talk enough about the entrepreneur journey mm-hmm. in the cycle of letting go of what you used to do and adopting what you need to do now. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs that are in that spot feel like they have to do it on their own. They feel like they have to just know these things. Yeah. I think I mentioned this to you the other day. I was just talking with Matt Altman, the CEO of Sportique, and he said over time, he's gone through that transition of a C- as a CEO, right? He was in that spot of you're doing the sales and you're pushing the financial side, the revenue side. That was his focus. He's like, that's fine, right? When it's the beginning, like you said, you have to be the person of (laughs) doing all the things, all the doers, right? You have to be in that role. But when you grow and then you have a team, you support the team, you have to be able to step back because they're doing sales and they're doing marketing and they're doing operations. You need to know these things, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to be doing these things. Your role and what Matt was talking about, your role then shifts to okay, I know the things that are happening, but I'm now the person that supports the culture. And now I am showing, okay, if mental health is important, let's show that it's important. If, like you said, the psychological safety of being able to support your team and sharing ideas, okay, then then act on that. And don't give the negative reinforcement. Give that positive reinforcement piece. To the piece of all of that growth, right? There's so many CEOs, like I said, that feel like they have to do it on their own. They don't. They have the two of you. (laughs) Before, and this will be my last question as we kind of wrap up, but I want to hear from both of you, like, what are a quick few reasons that you would give to a CEO of why they need a coach and why they need somebody like you and a program like yours, Kent? Why do they need you guys to be able to back them and support them in their growth journey? Kent, you you (laughs) want first or second on this one? Sure. Um, I'm happy to start off. So um, yeah, stakeholder business, we we don't technically really coach as much as we help companies uh, yeah. transform from where they're at mm-hmm. in terms of um, shareholder um, to a stakeholder business. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually really excited. We're um, launching a lab. It's a one-year program, and it is a Beyond Zero film cool. that's part of the two-day um, on-site session in Denver, um, actually Boulder, which is even more exciting. I love Boulder. But that's the opportunity in working with companies is to help them see um, and stress test their purpose. Many have this higher, you know, have this purpose. The question is, have they stress tested it? And the purpose for stress testing is to make sure it's really going to connect and that it's going to work well. During that year time, they're matched up with guides and masterminds and experts and all kinds of things to help them do their stakeholder analysis, engagement plan activate and really more cultivate team alignment and the buy-in mm-hmm. and then look at those metrics um, and the the kinds of metrics that would really indicate that the company is moving forward uh, to create a, an opportunity for a sustainable business enterprise uh, that continues to um, you know really thrive and start solving bigger challenges. Mm-hmm. I know as having been a lifelong entrepreneur, um, I'm not satisfied with the notion of um, just operating a company um, for the purpose of seeing that people have money. I think that's very short-sighted. 
Um, and so there's the opportunity to really dig in and find out what are the other ways in which you can have really deep meaning in your own life and the life of other people and begin to see what legacy looks like at that point. And I love that you say, you know, you guys aren't necessarily on the coaching side, but definitely still a resource that's helping support that company in their journey in your growth, right? There's a little bit of coaching, a little bit of consulting, whatever that angle, it is a resource to help companies in that growth journey. Aaron, with you, it is a little more on the coaching side. So why is it important for a company leader to say, okay, yeah, I need Aaron. I need something like this. Well, I'm I'm one of many. (laughs) Yes. Um, Now, I think there's a a bastardization of the word coach in our recent two and a half, three years. So make sure that not all coaches are measured equally and they should not be. (laughs) You can't ask the questions out of your line of sight. The role of a good coach is to ask bigger questions, more intentional questions that help you align with a bigger purpose and keep you on track. The responsibility that you have in business is to work on your business. Mm -hmm. Now, that alone requires a set of practices and behaviors that keeps you out of working in your business and working on it. So we have a whole interesting mix of things happening there. My responsibility is to regularly reposition a CEO back to working on the business, Mm -hmm. help them create the boundaries and walls that optimize working on the business, and present them with either new opportunities to further strategize towards their North Star or remove the beliefs, the habits, and the installations that are keeping them from getting there. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of, I've got to do this because, we have a lot of, well, it's always been done this way. So mm. we have a lot of, I, I don't really know another way. So I'm just going to duplicate what I know. And when you run a business that way, you can only get the results that you've gotten. You, you can't evolve. So coaching, especially if it's done correctly, will help you raise your awareness. It will help you change your beliefs. It will help you change your actions that change your results. Mm-hmm. That cycle of change belongs to the operations, the way you treat your team, the culture. It belongs to the way that you show up, the way you take care of yourself, how often you're giving yourself some time off because entrepreneurs are really bad at that. Mm-hmm. And I think underneath all of that, the the company name and the belief that I have is that entrepreneurs are usually their own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. We got to get you out of your own way. Mm-hmm. And if you are willing to sit in with uncomfortable, sometimes difficult conversations about what is ahead of you, you'd be surprised at how fast it all grows. And then you hit your purpose. You can focus on your direction. You can support your team. You can expand the operations and the stakeholders that you've involved in your conversation and everybody wins. It's a multi-sum game win, but you have to be willing to confront bigger questions. My job is to ask bigger questions. I love that. You guys are two powerhouses. (laughs) I am... Um, so excited that we got to have the conversation, talk with you guys today. There definitely is some serious alignment with the two of you, but folks are going to be listening and they're going to go, okay, I got to know more from Kent and the stakeholder process and, and that side of things. They're going to hear Aaron and they're going to be like, I really need to get in touch with Aaron. Um, so as we wrap up, can, can you tell everyone how they can reach you, how they can learn more about the stakeholder business and what you guys are doing? Sure. So um, Stakeholder Business website is stakeholderbusiness.com. It's been designed for the conscious curious to bring those individuals in to begin to learn. It does not have click funnels, so you'll never expect to see that. You can go on there and see organized content that is in a logical order to begin to understand it, to begin to apply it. And there is a there is a um, offer in there that you not like a, a way to get five emails with more in-depth content. Um, that's simply to get you unleashed to give those to you. So that's one thing. Stakeholder business, I'm very active on LinkedIn um, as well as Instagram, but it's Kent Gregoire on LinkedIn. You can um, reach me if you want to actually email me. You can go Kent at Stakeholder Business um, and it's Kent at Stakeholder Period Business where the URL is stakeholderbusiness.com. Email address is kent at stakeholder.business. Awesome. Thank you. And Aaron, for everyone listening, how do they reach you? Uh, Our website is areyouinyourownway.com. Ooh, 
Say uh, that again. Are you in your own way? Are you in your own way? Dot com. Okay, I like that. Uh, we'll see if if people are in their own way. Yeah. Uh, you can reach me online. The the Instagram, LinkedIn platforms are all the same. My, my name, just search Aaron Felky, A A R O N V is in Victory E L K Y. I'm on all of them. You can send me a message. You can DM me. You can email me at Aaron Velke at Gmail. So unique name, search yeah. it, find it, seek it, send it. Awesome. We can find both of you very easily. Well, thank you again for both of you for being on. As we wrap up today, I just want to remind everybody that Culture Crush is a growing company. We are the culture improvement resource that supports companies and leaders. Our purpose is to improve company culture so people want to go to work. We want people to be excited for Mondays and not have those Sunday downs and those Sunday thoughts of, oh, I don't want to do that. We want people to be excited about Mondays. So if you are a company leader that's looking to improve any of these areas of culture, right? The DEI, the mental health we talked about, employee engagement, we have eight different areas that we focus on. So if you are a leader looking for support or looking to try and find Aaron or another coach, um, other resources like Kent, then please let us know and email us at info at culturecrushbusiness.com. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Culture Crush, the only podcast out there that does a deep dive of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. If you think your company has a strong culture that should be highlighted, please reach out to Kendra Maples on LinkedIn or email us at culturecrushpodcast at gmail.com.